leadership is taking responsibility to play a role to achieve a common purpose. So it's that capacity to act for a common purpose, but it's not just the action. It's really that belief in your capacity and your worth and your contribution for that. These days, it feels like a lot of things are suddenly feminist. Or at least, everything claims to be. When words become buzzwords, they often lose their essence. And when this happens, we need to question whether a certain term still has transformative power or if it is simply used to maintain the status quo, only giving the illusion that there's a genuine interest in transformative change. Many believe women having power and being in charge is what's needed to change the world. And in this sense, female leadership is often confused with feminist leadership. Whether it's in books like Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg or Girl Boss by Sofia Amoruso, the mainstream has become interested in concepts that put women at the top. But is that really feminist leadership? In the growing number of books, TV shows and movies about feminist leadership, the focus is usually on individual women overcoming the individual obstacles they face within existing power structures. What gets missed, however, is the possibility of challenging and transforming these existing structures rather than just trying to succeed within them. Real systemic change, then, is not within the realm of possibilities. But there are people who think about feminist leadership in a different, more subversive way. In their approach, feminist leadership challenges traditional notions of leadership by promoting collaboration, empathy, and inclusivity as key components of what it means to be an effective leader. Feminist leadership can be a powerful force, And that's what we'll be talking about in this three-part podcast series. My name is Ilona Toller. In episode one of this three-part series, we will explore and uncover what exactly feminist leadership is and what it is not. What are the thoughts, ideas and values behind it? In episode two, we'll talk to feminist leaders about feminist leadership in practice. What does it mean on an institutional level? How can it function in practice? And then, in our last episode, we'll zoom further in by looking at the individual level. What does it mean to be a feminist leader within an organization? And what does it mean for a team? But for now, we'll start at the beginning. What is feminist leadership? First of all, feminist leadership has nothing to do with the biology of an individual. Okay? It's about practicing leadership in a feminist way. Srilata Bhatliwala lives in South India and has been a lifelong feminist activist and scholar. For two decades, she dedicated herself to grassroots activism, championing the rights of marginalized and impoverished women in urban and rural areas in India. 
Later in her career, she focused more on research, writing, training and capacity building of young feminist activists around the world. She says, feminist leadership is not as simple as having women in powerful positions. In fact, it's not about the gender identity or assigned sex of the person practicing leadership at all. It is about transforming ourselves, our private spaces, whether it's our organization or our family or our friendship group or our sports group, and transforming our communities and the larger world to embrace and advance a feminist vision of social justice, which means it's a vision of social justice that goes deeper and looks at hidden and invisible inequalities and exclusions. So feminist leadership is not about authority and control. It's not about who is the boss or being a shiro or a hero. It's about working collectively to dismantle discriminatory structures of power, whether they are visible or invisible, and not just in the public space, but in private and intimate spaces in which we lead our lives. So this is not something we do as individuals. Feminist leadership is about building, mobilizing others and building a collective process of change to build that world that we would all like to see, which is peaceful, where there is equality, where we respect the planet and our natural resources and the rights and well-being of all people. We have to look at our practice of power, yes, in the outside world, yes, in our organizations and movements, but we also have to look at it within ourselves. And the way we ourselves have internalized a lot of the privilege or the powerlessness or the discrimination and the biases of the larger society. Feminist leadership is not about whether you're a woman or a, identify as a man or you're a trans person or you're an intersex person. It's not about that. If we see feminist leadership as women or other gender identities other than men, replacing the same power structure, if like it, it loses its transformative point, its transformative core aspect. It doesn't actually shift where you know power lies. This is Elena Gizzo. She's the co-founder and co-coordinator of Feminist Hiking Collective, a feminist non-profit organization that aims to build collective feminist leadership through hiking and mountaineering. She says simply replacing the person in a position of power doesn't transform structures of power or the way we relate to each other. It's not just trying to achieve transformative change for the common good, but it's also trying to do it in a way that is transformative itself and that sees everyone as having an equal role to play, no matter what positional role, no matter, you know, um, 
the specific, you know, job title or uh, experience. Like everyone has a role to play. Everyone is on the same level. Everyone has something to contribute to. And no matter, you know, in which way, from which background, you know, from which walk of life, everything that someone brings is unique and special and celebrated. So it's not like the collective is uh, destroys individual uh, unique contributions. It's the opposite. But the inspirations are celebrating in a different way. Most political ideologies espouse the ideals of equality and fairness. But feminism tries to go a step further. It looks at how power is practiced and distributed and how discrimination, violence and stigmas operate. Not only in our relationships, but in our bodies, in the way our sexuality is controlled and in the way our reproductive lives are regulated. The biggest shift is from seeing leadership as something that is individualistic and individualized and also competitive and also perceiving somehow some people as more important or more impactful than others. So the biggest shift is from that to seeing change as being led and achieved by collective power. And that is exactly the opposite of what the hegemonic culture teaches us and also what the culture and societal norms and expectations support and push us and influence us to pursue. And that's why at the very core, I talk about relationality, horizontality, and how we perceive ourselves, because I think it's in the internalization of the, let's say in inverted commas, usual understanding of leadership that the hardest work is. Is when we have to let go of that, to be able to really practice it in a significant way, that I think is the, the really essential shift. Something that makes feminist leadership different, Elena argues, is that it recognizes that different communities and different organizations may also have different needs. There isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. Rather, the goal of a group embarking on a journey of feminist leadership is very dependent on the context. What could be the common good for the community that I am part of here in Italy might be very different from a different context. And people's needs are very contextual and relate to the specific circumstances and needs, right? Like it's pointless to talk about, you know, feminist leadership and then attach it to something that is negating or curbing the rights of marginalized identities. That is out of the question, you know, but at the same time, it's, it would be difficult to define exactly what is the common good. And we're also talking about politicizing our practices. And it's really about taking responsibility for the earth we inhabit, for the spaces we are part of, for the communities that we are part of. So it's a huge shift that has everything to do with democracy and our lives, you know, in every sort of space. Feminist leadership is a leadership approach that is based on feminist principles and values, such as empathy, openness, and respect. 
It involves sharing power and decision-making, promoting diversity and inclusion, and challenging traditional power structures and hierarchies. Feminist leadership is seen as a tool to drive transformation towards more diverse, inclusive, and representative organizations. But it's not just important as a concept or an idea. It must be practiced daily, for example, by making a conscious and continuous effort to reflect on and deconstruct organizational culture. To Srilata Batliwala, this is something that became clear early on in her work, when she stepped into a formal position of power and leadership for the first time as the head of an organization. And the minute that happened... My first concern was, how am I going to do this and how am I going to do it differently? So from the very moment that I became a leader in a formal sense, I was concerned with, am I going to reproduce the same patterns of behavior, the same relationships with my colleagues And more importantly, those who work under me uh, or, or my subordinates, as it were, or am I going to try and do this in a different way and try to create a new model of being uh, a good leader, but not through domination and control and holding on to all the decision-making power. And when I began to think about what was I going to do differently, I thought about the fact that as a feminist leader, first of all, I have to focus on the purpose for which I'm leading. So if the purpose is the empowerment of the most marginalized, the most silenced and voiceless people, how am I, as a so-called leader, going to share that power, that purpose and the power given to me in that role to move towards that purpose? Srilata realized that she could only be a feminist leader by sharing power. And she realized that there are several forms of power you have to share, not only the power to make decisions. It also encompasses the power to shape the collective vision. When I say you're leading for a larger purpose, but who defines what that purpose is? Is it me? Because I'm the leader of this organization and, you know, we have a, a concept of what the organization should do. So is that the purpose? Or do I actually begin to engage the voices of the women we are working with and for? So that was one form in which I had to share power. Secondly, we had to really begin to engage in a process of building the women's collective power and their voice. So beginning to share the process of strategy building. And third, a very important space in which I began to engage the women themselves and my larger team was in the process of defining specific goals and evaluating 
if you like, or assessing where have we reached in our journey, in our movement building journey? How far have we reached uh, towards that purpose or that goal that we have divine? So it was a sharing of power in all these multiple ways, which meant that the power really shifted from the single leader and it built a whole cadre of, of leaders uh, within the movement and uh, amongst the women themselves. A cadre of leaders, an image that goes against what we are usually taught to think of as leadership. Elena Gizzo says, we often think in order to be a leader, we need to be someone. We need to climb up a certain ladder, be charismatic and fight our way to the top. But in feminist leadership, everyone involved has a role to play and is a leader in their own way. A feminist leadership story would recognize that change is never achieved individually. That if it was an individual person, they worked with other people. There were people taking care of things for them. There were people, you know, contributing. There was a lot of invisible work, maybe done by assistants or interns or, you know. So a feminist leadership story would recognize and celebrate the collective achievement. So part of implementing feminist leadership can be to create a different organizational model. Srilata tells us they tried to do this in the women's collectives she was working with. They didn't want to reproduce the structure where one woman is the president of the collective, the other is the secretary, and another the treasurer. Because this would, essentially, create another group holding power. So instead, they encouraged women to create leadership circles. So it was kind of collective leadership and started experimenting with People stepping down from the leadership circle after a certain period of time, maybe two years or three years, and new women getting into that uh, role and getting that opportunity uh, to build their uh, leadership capacity. So these are a couple of ways in which I try to shift it in, in practice. In her own position as a leader, she has sometimes used her formal position and the power that comes with it strategically to actually reform power relations overall. So I decided, and here I was using my leadership power as the boss, and I said, look, when we want to take leave, you know, take vacation, take off days, who should be giving us permission? Who should be okaying that? Why should the person above you in the hierarchy okay it? It should be okayed by the people who are going to be affected by your absence. So if you are a coordinator in the district, why should you take my permission or the top boss's permission to take leave? You should be getting permission from your team. So similarly, we insisted that the grassroots activists who were working in 10 villages with 10 women's collectives, which means about a good 300 women, they needed to get permission to take time off from the collective. 
not from me, not from the district coordinator who was technically their supervisor. According to Srilata, in the beginning, there was absolute chaos, total resistance. But with time, everyone adjusted to the new system. And before they knew it, the new way of doing things became the norm. And women, the grassroots women, were so thrilled to be actually asked by the activists. And, you know, they were asked to sign or put their thumb impressions on the letter and then send it up to the state office. So I think, you know, a lot of this resistance is really coming from that very deep place of privilege. And I think when they saw that I was willing to do it, that's where you have to play this uh, peculiar dynamic between using your traditional authority, the top of the hierarchy, uh, to try and subvert that hierarchy. And it's tricky. It's tricky. I fully admit. One reason why it can be challenging is because we are all raised with traditional leadership models where one person takes charge and everyone else follows suit. But feminist leadership disrupts that paradigm. It reimagines leadership as a collective endeavor, a dynamic interplay of collaboration, shared decision-making, and breaking free from hierarchical norms. But even though it's a collective effort, you have to start with yourself. You have to look at your own uh, use of power. And you have to start modeling a different way of using your power. We have to look within our institutions. We have to see, are we reproducing in our institutional relationships, you know, the same traditional patriarchal top-down power arrangements. And I, you know, I'm not saying we're going to get it perfectly right the first time. Practicing feminist leadership can be challenging. Srilata highlights that there are many myths about what a feminist organization should look like. But it's important to name and disrupt these myths. And, you know, one of them is that, oh, we don't have any structure. We don't have any hierarchy. That's highly problematic because what I've seen is that invisible hierarchy develops and that invisible hierarchy. I saw this very clearly in the 70s, 80s, 90s and the so-called autonomous women, women's groups and autonomous uh, feminists, they would say, oh, we don't have any leader, you know, we are all equal here. But frankly, that was a delusion. That's the most polite word I could use for it. Because these groups were full of hidden power structures, hidden hierarchies, who had been there from the beginning, you know, who was older, Uh, who knew English, God knows what, you know, who had access to people in government or people in donor agencies or whatever, you know. So there were all sorts of hidden forms of power. And then it becomes a very oppressive space because theoretically the power structure doesn't exist. So how do I challenge it? especially in cultures that are stratified on the basis of race, ethnicity, and other categories, there are multiple forms of exclusion and discrimination based on these historically inherited hierarchies. And even for feminists, these hierarchies can be hard to let go of. What I also saw happening around me 
when I was still a fairly relatively young activist, I saw a lot of older feminists whose work I greatly admired in the larger world, but who were very oppressive inside their own spaces, very oppressive in their leadership, very entitled, completely unconscious of the privileged ways in which they behaved. I still remember a meeting, and this was not that long ago, this was maybe about 15 or 16 years ago, when we had a capacity building training for young East African activists, feminist leadership and movement building institute for them. And we had invited a very senior African feminist as a resource person. And she arrived at the time, uh, just a little before her session. And she came to uh, the door of the meeting room where we were all seated. And, you know, I welcomed her and I said, oh, come on in. How nice that you've come. And she just kept standing there and looking around. And in the next second, two or three of the young women, they leaped up and they went. One took her computer bag. One took her handbag. And the other sort of escorted her to the front of the room. She would not come in until that act of deference was performed. Do you see? So I saw a lot of images like this, multiple images like this in India as well. And I began to realize, therefore, that working on your internal, you know, your consciousness and your internalized practices has to be a very big part of it. Even when we see people representing other people or, you know, spaces that define themselves progressive, but when they actually recreate and re-narrate the same narratives and the same practices of a demonic leadership, that is deeply, deeply, deeply problematic. And so that's why it's very important to, to transform those spaces as well. The key, the essence is, if I don't feel powerful inside, it's very hard to share power. Some of you might be wondering... Should CEOs of big private companies and corporations also embrace sharing their power? Is that one of the goals behind feminist leadership? Or can feminist leadership only be applied in the social impact sector? I think this is where it gets very complicated, because this is where we have to look at the political economy the larger sort of political economy in which we operate and really take a hard look at what are the spaces in which these values and this kind of value system are not clashing. Feminist leadership is about a larger purpose and that purpose is the transformation of the larger world in a certain direction, a feminist vision of social justice. Well, let's face it, Exxon doesn't have a feminist vision of social justice, right? 
So can I be a feminist leader next on? I don't think so. So I think the thing is that the business world will take pick up and run with anything that gives them an edge in the neoliberal capitalist framework. They will use it. Does that make them feminist organizations? Does it mean they're practicing feminist leadership? I don't think so. Srilata herself stepped out of formal leadership roles by the time she was 48. It was a conscious decision, and it didn't make her feel like she gave up on any of her power. I said, okay, that's it. I've had my turn. Now let me move back. Let other younger women take over their formal leadership roles. And I really feel more powerful today than I ever did before in my life. I have no formal position. I'm nobody's boss. And I feel very powerful. And that's because I stepped back and I explored my inner self, building my inner self, but also exploring how you can contribute in a different way. And that brings us to the end of the first episode of our three-part series on feminist leadership. We discovered that feminist leadership is not about the biology or gender identity of an individual, but rather about practicing leadership in a feminist way. It's not just a trend or a buzzword. Rather, it's a powerful force for transformative change, dismantling discriminatory structures and embracing collaboration and inclusivity. It's important to remember that feminist leadership is not a solitary journey. It is a call to action for all of us to challenge existing power structures, transform ourselves and work together towards a feminist vision of social justice. In our next episode, we will delve deeper into how feminist leadership can be practiced at the institutional level, exploring real-life examples and strategies for creating change within organizations. So stay tuned as we continue our exploration of feminist leadership, unraveling its complexities and possibilities. <laughs>